so last week we were in Acts 12 and we heard the story of Peter's miraculous escape. Uh, and we're going to pick up Acts 12 and verse 18 this morning. In the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered them to be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea, Caesarea and then stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they were dependent on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is a voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks, Jen. Good morning, everybody. Can I just say real quick, this was not my original assigned Sunday to preach. Um, I was supposed to be at the end of May, and we had a little switch in schedule. So Jen and I talked, and we were like, oh, let's just switch weeks. And he was super eager to switch. And I didn't know why until I saw the whole worm thing going on. So well done, Jed. Well played. I'm going to remember this next time. Um, it's been a long time since I've been up here in this role, being able to teach and bring the word. And I would be the first to tell you that I am not comfortable doing this at all. But um, I've been doing a lot of praying that God would just speak this morning through his word, especially in this crazy few verses that we get to work through. So... Just praying that he would show up and the Holy Spirit would move. We are wrapping up a series we've been in since April called With Wonder. Uh, we've been in the book of Acts looking at the early church as it is being formed and just the ways that God was showing up miraculously in all these cool ways. So the, the series ends today and Andrew mentioned a couple of weeks ago that these last three weeks are all kind of tied together in one bigger story. So for those of you who haven't been here with us the last couple of weeks or if you haven't been able to watch online, I just want to do a quick review so that you know kind of where we're at today. Um, we know in the beginning of Acts 12 that King Herod was persecuting the Christians of this new early church. And I want to take just a second and explain who this Herod is because there's a few Herods in the Bible so it can be kind of confusing. This Herod is Herod Agrippa. So he has got a pretty dark ancestry. Um, a lot of murder, a lot of um, abuse of power is in his family tree. His grandfather was actually Herod the Great. So you would know, if you remember back to when Jesus was born and there was a King Herod, that was Herod the Great. And he had heard that this new king had been born, and he felt threatened by that. He didn't want anything to take over his throne, so he ordered that all boys um, under the age of two be killed. So that was Herod the Great. He, Herod the Great, also went on to have two of his own sons killed, one of which was Agrippa's father. Um, he had his wife killed because he thought she was cheating on him, so just a lot of darkness and death. Um, Herod Agrippa, who we are talking about today, had a sister named Herodias, and she was the one who was responsible for the death of John the Baptist. Um, it was actually her husband who ordered it, who was also her uncle, which is just, that's a whole nother message in itself. But um, yeah, she, she was the one responsible for that, having, having him killed. So 
This is Herod Agrippa's family tree. This is what he grew up with. This is what he's surrounded with is all of this just evil stuff going on. So at the beginning of chapter 12, we see that um, Herod Agrippa has James, uh, the apostle, killed. Um, he sees that there are some, there's, there's this group of Jewish leaders who that makes really, or almost, yes, Jewish leaders, makes them really happy. Um, so he kind of gets this power trip a little bit, and it's almost a political move. He sees, okay, this is good for me that these guys, this group of guys are happy. So he goes ahead and he goes after Peter, because Peter is um, the head of the early church at that point. So he has Peter arrested. Peter goes to prison. And what we talked about last week was um, this was like a maximum security prison. Herod was a little worried that, you know, God might do something, something might happen. So he had 16 different guards on Peter in this prison. He had somebody chained to each side. He had guards at each set of doors. He, Herod did not want him to be able to get out. Um, but an angel shows up in the middle of the night. Lights come on. He, the chains fall off of Peter, and Peter walks out of the prison, and not one of the guards sees what happens. So Peter goes on to Mary's house, where the church, there's people from the church gathered and praying. And we talked about this last week. They were praying earnestly for Peter. They saw what happened with James, and they're scared. They're worried that something's going to happen to Peter. So they're praying that God would just protect him, keep him safe. And Peter shows up at the door, and they're shocked. Like, they can't believe that Peter's there, which I love that the Bible included that part. People are praying earnestly. They're praying with faith. But then Peter shows up, and they're like, what? How, how are you here? Which I think is a great picture of us, or at least for me, for myself. I pray and pray and pray that God's going to move, and he's going to do these awesome things. And then he moves, and I'm like, what? For real? Did God just do that? Um, so I think that's awesome that the, the Bible shows us that. Um, so Peter is there. He tells them, hey, this is what happened. This is what God did for me. Tell everybody. Tell the brothers. Tell the sisters. I'm going to move on. I'm going to go to the next town. So that's kind of where we're picking it up today. Um, one thing I wanted to mention from last week that we did, if you weren't here, um, Andrew had us all write down a prayer just for ourselves. We didn't write down our names on those cards or anything, just something that we wanted prayer for. And everybody came forward and put those in the different baskets. And then we came back up again and picked up a different one, went to our seats and prayed for people, just so we could practice um, praying earnestly for someone else. And then Andrew just at random invited different people to come up and pray what was on their card and for that person. And the fun part was, after that was all over, and we got to hear these stories of how God was moving in those prayers, the cards that people just happened to pick up. So... One person said they, they got a card and it was almost identical to what they had written on their card, so they knew how to pray. Um, we had a teenage boy who had written on his card, God, help me be able to pray out loud better. And then he got called up to pray out loud in front of everyone. So um, we actually had a staff member who came in later who wasn't able to be here last Sunday morning, but she found a card that hadn't got picked up, and so she took it with her, and she said it was exactly what she would have written on a card. So she's been praying for that person all week. So we just get to see how God moves through prayer and uses us uh, when we are willing to step into that with him. So that's what we are picking up this morning. We're going to start with... Um, Verse 18 that Judd started with, it says, In the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And um, when I read things in the Bible, I try to put myself in the story. I try to enter in as one of the characters just because it helps me kind of identify a little bit better. And so I was putting myself in the place of these soldiers. And it was customary back then that if a prisoner escaped the soldiers were responsible, and whatever was to happen to that prisoner would then happen to them. So 
Peter was supposed to be executed, so now these, these soldiers are facing execution. So the Bible saying there was no small commotion, that really caught my attention because it's like that seems like a huge understatement to me because I would think that those soldiers, first of all, just would have been completely dumbfounded at what happened because there's 16 of them and they had to be talking to each other like, well, did you hear anything? Did you see anything? And all of these guys are like, I, I didn't see anything. It wasn't me. I didn't let him go. So they had to just be dumbfounded in that. But then the sheer terror of they know they're going to die. They know what this means. He escaped. He vanished. They don't know where he is. And now they're being held responsible. So yeah, it seems a little, little understated to me. But verse 19, after Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So Herod lost Peter. Um, he had these 16 soldiers killed, and then he takes off. He heads to Caesarea, where I read he had um, this amazing beach home, basically, over the water. So um, he heads there. That's where the rest of our text is going to take place. So we're going to try to figure out how we, how we can apply the rest of this to us today. Uh, verse 20, he had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and now they joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. So Agrippa had been arguing with these people. The Bible doesn't really explain why they were arguing. Um, could have had to do with trade stuff going on. Um, they were dependent, though, on Herod for food, and Herod had cut off that food supply. So they show up, they're hungry, they're, they're ready to make peace so that they can eat. Um, so Herod comes out on the appointed day, verse 21, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. As I was studying this, I read an account that said the robes he was wearing had silver run, run, running through it, so very elaborate, very, um, yeah, detailed. And so he comes out that morning and the sun's shining on him. He's basically glowing. And so the people start to worship him. Um, it says they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Um, so because Herod took this praise for himself, he felt this adoration coming from the people, um, and he enjoyed that. Uh, he was immediately struck down. So as I read into this and the way he died, these worms eating him uh, from the inside out, I read that he would have had intense abdominal pain. So you have to imagine just like the worst cramping belly stuff going on. Um, and he, he had it for five days. This wasn't something where he took the praise, God struck him down, and <clears throat> excuse me, he died. This was almost a week long of just intense torture, excruciating pain. So not the best, not the best way to die. And then our last verse, uh, 24, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Yay. So where do we go? Where do we go with this? <clears throat> I sat in this passage multiple times over the last few weeks and just asking God, okay, what do we do with this? I feel like I could have done so much better job last week when we talked about prayer and the power of prayer in the church and earnestly praying, but I get to talk about worms today. Um, and I told somebody this, I think it, I've often thought that it would be easier to preach less verses, because this is only like six verses, <clears throat> but this was almost harder. 
And normally when I would speak, I would spend, I would write something a few weeks ahead of time and then spend those few weeks with the Lord and just say, okay, God, take this. What, what do you want me to say? What do you not want me to say? What do you have? And as of last week, I was struggling. I, I could not land on where God wanted us to go with this. So finally, the word that stood out to me last week was pride. Um, Herod's pride in this, in this story. And if I'm really honest with myself, the word pride came up right away for me several weeks ago, but I told God no. I was like, I'm, I'm not going to get up there and talk about pride because that's just not, that's not fun. It's uncomfortable. Um, so then last week I heard the word pride again and I was like, okay, God, if you want me to talk about pride, what, what do you want me to say? And then it just started coming. Like there it was. It, was, it all showed up. So pride is ultimately what killed Herod Agrippa. Um, his need to be glorified and honored and praised was what killed him. It it ate him from the inside out. So for the rest of our time, that's where we're going to go today. We're going to talk a little bit about pride, what it is, what it looks like, but then I also want to focus on the opposite of pride, which is humility. Um, How do we as a people, um, how do we as a body of believers live in a way that's humble when the world around us is just screaming for us to be prideful? So let's start with pride. I want to give you the definition of pride. Um, It is a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements, the achievements of those with whom one is closely associated, or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. So for me, when I think about pride, I think of self. Self-worth, selfish, self-worship, self-centered, like a me, me, me type of attitude. That's just kind of what comes to mind for me. So I was listening to this pastor give a message on pride, and um, he was talking about selfies and how just in today's world, selfies are so common, you know, where you take your camera and you flip it around, take a picture of yourself, and you post it. I'm horrible at selfies. I've tried before, and I'm, yeah, somehow I mess it up every time, so I'm not good in that, and maybe that's my age. But um, this pastor talked about how 90 million selfies are taken every day. 90 million. If you have a teenager, you might think that's a little low, but apparently it's, it's yeah. Um, so I did a little research, and Google said back in 2016 that over 24 billion selfies had been uploaded to their site. I tried to find a more accurate, closer to today's number and couldn't find it. But that was five years ago, 24 billion selfies. Um, so people I've read have gotten arrested for taking selfies. I read a story about this woman who was actually shoplifting, And she took a selfie of herself and was like, hashtag shoplifting, and yeah, got arrested. Um, There was a man I read about who lost his job because of a selfie. Um, He called his boss and he said, hey, I have this family emergency. I can't be at work today. So then he goes to this party and posts pictures of himself on Facebook. And his boss got on and saw it and commented. He's like, hey, come see me in the morning. And he got fired. People have died from taking selfies. So I read, I thought this was really interesting. This was in the Journal of Family Medicine in India. said that 259 people worldwide have died in selfie-related accidents um, in this window between 2011 and 2017. So I've got just a couple pictures I want to pop up here for you that I found of people who are taking these super dangerous um, selfies. Do we have them? Yeah. So people will sit on top of like a huge tower or a skyscraper or something and try to take a picture. So that's one, Um, yeah, in front of a moving train. There have been teenage girls that have died trying to take pictures of themselves in front of a train, in front of, and I don't know if this one's real. I mean, this is a Google thing, so this could be Photoshopped, but I have read that people have tried to do um, in front of a wild animal. And then, yeah, just 
crazy things. Um, and in that same window where there was these 259 people that died, only 50 people died in those years from shark attacks, which is just crazy to me. Um, so selfie-related deaths are on the rise, if you didn't know that. And there's four countries that they're happening a lot, and the U.S. is one of them. Um, so yeah, just when we, when we start to bring the focus on ourself all the time and all this me, 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 dangerous, dangerous stuff can happen. Um, and I think it's, it can be easy to say, well, that's not me. Because it was easy for me to say that as I was studying this. I was like, well, I'm not a selfie taker, number one, so I'm, I'm out for that. But um, I'm not one of those people who worships myself or is self-centered, I don't think, you know. Um, I'm a mom, so for all you moms out there, even you moms of grown-up kids, we, we tend to put everybody else before us, right? Kids come first, husband comes first, everybody. So that's not me. But I think that can be dangerous because I think pride is a lot more than just the me, me, me attitude. And that's kind of what I learned as I was studying this. So as much as I thought I wasn't one of those obsessive people, um, God's been super gracious in the last couple weeks, reminding me of all the ways that I sin when it comes to pride. He's just been showing me, he's been leading me to these different articles I've read that talk about pride. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is an issue for me. Um, so he actually led me to this list. It was kind of like a, one of those Jeff Foxworthy you might be a redneck if, I don't know if anybody remembers those. I'm probably aging myself when I say that, but um, it, it's kind of a list like that. So it's, you may have pride issues if. So I'm going to show these to you. You can see if you resonate with any of these. Um, you have a tendency to take everything personally. So you get defensive about stuff. Uh, you don't like being misunderstood. That's me. You like to be able to explain yourself. So when something happens and you're involved, I... For me, I have to be able to explain myself. I want everybody to know, okay, this is not what happened. It wasn't me. Ah, it makes me anxious. So you have a tendency to take things personally. Um, your feelings are the most reasonable. So it's not enough to know that you're right. You have to make sure everybody else knows you're right too. Um, your desires are the most important. Uh, you always tend to think the other person needs to apologize or change. You tend to be negative and critical instead of positive and grateful. And then I added this one in here. I don't have it up there on the screen, but I think it's pretty funny because I've done this. Um, when you sit in a worship service listening to someone talk on pride, you keep thinking of all the other people in your life that really need to hear this. <laughs> oh, I need to save this message and forward it to them because they have issues with this. You might have a little bit of an issue with pride. So the Bible talks a lot about it, a lot about pride. Um, tells us that pride is one of the deadly sins in Proverbs 6, we get the six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And here, they, I'm going to just give them to you real quick. They are lying, murder, scheming, eagerness to do evil, a false witness, a man who stirs up trouble between brothers, and pride. So pride is one that a lot of these other ones stem from. Um, if you think about lying and why, why we might lie, it's often because there's a pride issue going on, something we don't want everybody else to know, so we, so we make something up. Or um, a lot of times murder can be traced back to the people being connected and there being a pride issue, and that's why, why the murder happened. So we know, we know we all struggle with it if we're honest with ourselves. Um, none of us are immune to it. So how do we intentionally chase after the opposite of pride, which is humility? How do we become a people, become a people who are humble? Um, and striving after that. So I want to shift to humility um, and give you the definition. It is having or showing a modest 
or low estimate of one's own importance. And I think, I think humble people can get a bad rap sometimes because I think we label them. Um, I think we label them as passive, submissive, insecure, and I don't think, I think that's sometimes the case, but I don't think that's always the case. As I was thinking about it, I thought, um, I don't think humble people think, necessarily think less of themselves. I think they think about themselves less, if that makes sense. So they, it's, it's not that they're thinking less of themselves and looking down on themselves. They are just spending less time thinking about themselves. Um, I want to share a quote with you from Charles Spurgeon. He is, you probably know who he is, preacher back in the 1800s. He said, every Christian has a choice between being humble or being humbled. So we get to make a choice. We get to choose. Do we, do we step into humility? Do we strive for humility and trying to be humble? Or do we let God humble us because you know he's going to do it at some point? So I started looking into the habits of humble people. What are they like? What do they do? What are their traits? Um, what are things that often just are natural, come natural for them? And I came across a lot of great things um, in the different articles that I read, but there were a few that I saw over and over again. So I want to share those with you this morning. Um, these are habits of humble people. The first one is they retain relationships. Um, studies have shown that humble people are more likely to help friends than their prideful counterparts. And as a result, they maintain stronger professional and personal relationships. So I thought this was interesting. They did a study of 1,000 people, 200 who were in leadership positions in different companies, and they said that the companies with humble people in leadership had more engaged workforce and less employee turnover. So people want to work for people who are humble, who sit in humility. And they put others first. Humble people know their self-worth. Um, they don't feel the need to cast their knowledge and cast themselves in front of other people because they know that it's more important that they love really well. Um, the person who they are interacting with, they don't care about what they know and spewing all this knowledge. They care about how they feel when they're interacting with that person. They listen well. Um, I had this person in my life several years ago that I was close to, that I really respected and admired. Um, and there was one thing about her that drove me crazy. And it's that she didn't listen very well. Um, she was one of those people who, when you would be talking with her, in a conversation with her, you'd see her pull one of these. Like, she'd kind of look behind you if she saw someone coming. Or, and it, it, it bothered me. And I, I feel like she's just really not listening to what I'm saying. She's not investing in me. And then I noticed myself doing it when I would be in a conversation, and it would come in times when I was really overwhelmed or overstimulated by stuff that was going on, but I would catch myself looking behind someone, and I'd be like, oh, I hate that. I know how that feels. So I know she was not doing it intentionally, because I wasn't doing it intentionally. But I noticed that I quit talking to her as much, just because I felt like, does she really care about who I am when I'm talking with her? On the other side of that, I have a friend who's a fantastic listener. She's one of those people who, when you sit down to talk with her and you tell her something, she is just zoned in on what you're saying. She makes eye contact. She listens really well. Um, she doesn't interrupt, because I'm, I'm an interrupter, and I, I hate that I am. But when somebody's talking and I think of something, I'm like, oh, I got to get it out before I forget. And I, I'm trying to rein that in, because it's, it's a terrible habit to have. But she doesn't do that. Um, she will be really quiet and listen to what I'm saying. And the way that I feel about myself when I'm talking with her, my self-worth just goes clear up because I feel like she cares about me. So I want to be more like her. I'm trying to be more like that. 
good listener. And the last one is grateful spirit. Um, always just looking for the good in situations, even hard things. Um, it's really hard to do, to be intentional about looking for the good, um, especially when bad things happen. It, but it, it retrains our brains. And our brains, as you know, just affect the rest of our body, how we feel physically um, and emotionally. We, uh, our neighborhood got hit super hard by the hailstorm that came through on Friday night. And um, you go out the next day and just look at everything that has happened, and it's just so defeating. And you think, this is going to take forever to get things restored back to the way they were, and it's really hard. But um, I tried to use it as a teaching opportunity for my little two. We were in the kitchen, and I said, okay, guys, what can we be thankful for? So our power is back on. Our air conditioning is working. We have food in the fridge. None of us got hurt. Our dog wasn't outside when the hail hit. So lots of good things to be thankful for. And then we ended up spending um, the afternoon with my family who's in town and just ate together and laughed together. And um, yeah, I'm not sure why I'm... This happens to me when I get up here, and that's why I don't like being up here. Um, but just being together and finding the joy in the midst of hard. And I'm, I'm so thankful that I was raised in that kind of environment where bad things happen. Where's the good? How can we have joy? How can we have laughter? So anyway, um, I want to shift a little bit to... 1 Corinthians, um, and I hope this doesn't bring confusion, um, because this particular passage really has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but Paul, in this passage, talks about how we as Christians can somehow be prideful with other Christians around us. So I want to talk about it real quick, and I want to just give you a little bit of context. So in chapter 8, it's talking about um, meat that has been sacrificed to false idols. So there's this group of Christians, and they're asking, um, so this meat that has been sacrificed to these false idols, if we eat it, is that bad? Like, is that like we are participating in that ceremony that has just happened? Because they don't want to do that. They want the meat to be clean. They want to be clean. Um, and there's this other group of Christians who are more mature Christians. They're a little wiser, further along in their faith. And um, what they base, this isn't how they say it, but this is kind of how I interpreted it. They're kind of like, um, duh, yeah, the meat's fine, false idols, has nothing to do with you, don't worry about it, just eat it, it's, it's perfectly fine. So that's kind of their response in it. So here's the verses, um, it's chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So Paul goes on after this and addresses these mature Christians. And he's like, you guys, it would be better for you as sitting in this position of being a more mature Christian, it would be better for you to stop eating meat altogether rather than try to cause these guys to stumble. They're not understanding this. Yes, you're right. The meat's fine. You can eat it, whatever. But don't do that. Don't let your knowledge and what you know and, and your wisdom, don't let that cause these other brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble. It would be better for you to just stop eating meat altogether and stand with them than do what you're doing. So knowledge puffs up. We get full of knowledge, it puffs us up. So pride puffs up. But love, on the other side of that, it builds up other people. Um, so Herod Agrippa came out that day before those people, and he puffed up. 
But the Bible's telling us that we're supposed to love because love builds up. So if we asked ourselves, how are we doing at loving other people? How would you rate yourself? How would I rate myself? Um, Do we really love the people we speak to when we're in conversation? Do we really listen well? Or are we just so quick to get out our own thoughts and our own ideas that we don't sit in that posture of humility? If we are humble, we are loving well, we're listening, we're putting others first, and we're thankful. So after Herod Agrippa died, um, the Bible tells us that the word of God flourished. So we started this story, and we have James is killed, Peter is arrested, and then everything flips over. Peter's released, uh, and Herod dies. So we know that God and his plan He took control and it prospered. So I've been thinking, how do we get, how do I get to a place where I am just available to God so that his plan can move forward because it's going to anyways. How can I be in line with him so that he can use me in different situations in my life? And I think where I've landed is we just have to sit in a posture of humility, um, of surrender and of trust. We have to identify those areas in our life where we battle pride. And we just have to pray, pray against them. And if we struggle knowing where we have issues with pride, you just ask. Trust me. I asked God these last couple weeks, and he just was showing me all the different ways that I struggle with pride. So I asked myself, do I struggle with needing approval from others, like Herod? Because that's a form of pride, being a people pleaser. I am, I am one of those. Um, I need people's approval. Um, I need people to like me. And when someone doesn't or when someone's upset with me, I can't take it. It's really hard for me to deal with. Um, Do we struggle with the need to control everything in our lives and the people around us, Um, our kids, our spouses, our coworkers? Um, Try to orchestrate what's best for us. Try to line things up to happen in a way so that the end result that we want happens. Even if it's a good thing, even if we're shooting for something good, do we try to orchestrate things um, to get there? I do that. Um, and I don't know why, because as I was thinking about this, I know from experience that what God has for me, way better than what I could orchestrate or um, yeah, try to control and, and organize. Um, he's got more for my kids than what I can have for them or give to them. So why am I not just in this current state of surrender? Why every day don't I just fall down on my knees and say, okay, God, take the day. I'll follow you wherever wherever you want. This is a daily battle for me. I I can't do this for some reason. Um, But God is graciously teaching me how, that when I sit in a posture of humility, he's going to bless it. Um, And I've seen the blessings from that. And it's, yeah, you just can't beat it. And I know he's sitting up there most days being like, seriously, I've got all this stuff. I'm just waiting to shower it on you, waiting to pour it on you. And you're just getting in my way. Stop it. Just let me, let me have some control here. So I want to throw one more verse at you this morning. This is Proverbs. You've probably heard this before. It's uh, chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So Herod Agrippa was full of pride, um, and he fell. He was destroyed. So I want to give you some applicable challenges for this week. Um, I've got three things that I want you to try to do. As I was writing this, I was like, I'll just have them pick one. And then I thought, no, that's not really a challenge. So I'm going to challenge you to do all three this morning. Um, If you are a note taker, you are welcome to write these down. Um, The first one, look for an opportunity every day to put someone ahead of yourself. Every day, this week. Just something small 
whether that's um, letting your coworker pick where you go to lunch, um, as you're going around the house picking up your husband's laundry that's like right next to the hamper, and you pick it up and you put it in, or you put the toilet paper roll on. Um, don't do it with attitude. <laughs> I don't do that. I mean, I don't pick up stuff and throw it and be like, seriously, I just did that for you. Don't do that. Um, so yeah, just, just bless. Bless somebody every day this week. Second one, give sacrificially and anonymously. When we give and then we boast about it, um, that's our reward. That's what we get. Um, post on Facebook, hey, I just did this today, feeling good about myself. And then you get all these likes and loves and comments. That's what you get. That's, that's your temporary satisfaction for what you just did. Um, the Bible tells us that when we do stuff in secret, that's what God blesses. He sees it, and you're going to get a blessing from that. Um, so when I say give sacrificially, I mean financially this week. Um, that will look different for everybody. It might be $5. It might be $1,000. But ask God, pray that God will show you who he wants you to bless this week. Um, and he will. And then you just have to have the courage to do it, actually do it. And then once you've done it, don't tell anybody about it. Don't tell your coworkers. Don't post about it. Don't brag about it. Just do it in quiet. And that's, that's really hard to do. Um, but it's an awesome, an awesome gift. And then the last one, um, repent of your pride and your selfishness to someone. So find someone that you trust and just talk to them. Say, this is where I'm struggling with pride. Can you pray for me? Um, because when we do that, when we confess things out loud, um, it, they start to lose their grip on us. So if we have a pride gripping us, it's going to lose its power when we confess that out loud. So those are the three things I want you to try this week. And I would love to say, and then tell me about it. Tell me how it went. But then that would be the opposite of what I've been telling you this morning. So just, yeah, wait for God's, God's blessing over it. Um, as I was working through this message process, I was feeling really beat down because um, I was asking God where my pride issues were, and he was showing me. And that's just not fun to have to sit in that. So if you are feeling that this morning at all, I just want to remind you um, of God's grace. And um, yeah, we have a father who sent his son to die for us so that we wouldn't have to sit beat down um, and feeling like that. And I had to remind myself a lot of that this week. So um, I was actually talking with someone from Celebrate a few weeks ago, and he had asked me, so when are you going to teach next? And I told him it was in June. And he said, well, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I'm talking about Herod Agrippa getting eaten by worms. And we just kind of laughed because neither one of us knew. Like, where, where do you go with something like that? How do, you, how do you land that? And he kind of just jokingly said, well, somebody once told me that, and I can't remember who it was that he said told him this, but he said, when you have a really weird passage or a really hard passage, just point it back to Jesus. Just point it back to the cross and talk about Jesus, and it'll be fine. So we were laughing about that. But as I was writing this, I was like, wow, that totally came full circle. Because when we, when we um, beat ourselves down or um, get in that posture from, from the sin that we're carrying, whether it's pride or whatever it is, um, if we don't remember what Jesus did on the cross, then what are, what are we doing? Um, yeah, so... I want you to be able to sit in that as you leave this morning, his grace. Because um, we can strive for humility, but we're going to fall back into pride. That's just who we are. That's our nature as humans. That's the fallen world we're in. Um, but we have a God that's right there ready to scoop us up and shower us with his grace. So I want to invite the team um, to come back out. I'm going to pray. 
And then we've got just a couple songs that we're going to close with this morning. And I just want you to be able, however it looks for you, to worship. If that's standing up and worshiping, if that's just sitting um, in a posture of availability to God, um, that's what we want you to do this morning. Um, I want you to have the opportunity to just sit with God as you wrestle with these things. And I want you to be able to feel his love before you leave this morning. So let's pray. So God, um, I'm just in awe of all you have done for us, how you have loved so well that it doesn't matter what we've done, um, where we've been, you are always right there, just ready to remind us of who we are to you, um, how you see us. So God, I pray that for each person sitting in this room this morning, for each person listening this morning, that we could just have a posture of availability to you, God. Whatever it is you want to tell us this morning, um, whatever it is you want to show us this morning, God, that we would just be open to that. Um, and then it wouldn't be in a posture where we're feeling beat down or broken, but that it's in a posture where we can acknowledge it and then feel your grace upon grace. So God, we know your presence is already here with us this morning. We pray that you would um, just receive all the honor and glory and praise as we worship you now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>